Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver. This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. I do get high from the jump. You do get that adrenaline going, and that's what motivates you. That's what people come out here to see. There's the guy. He don't look crazy. You, you know what I mean? He looks like you and me. That voice you just heard getting high on life was stunt driver Ken Carter, also known as Kamikaze Ken, also known as the Mad Canadian. Ken was a working class evil Knievel who dreamed of greatness. Or he was a complete lunatic. Probably both. You'd have to be at least a little bit nuts to jump a mile in a rocket-powered car. But jump a mile is exactly what Ken Carter wanted to do. He spent nearly a decade trying to make it happen. Through the years of false starts and funding problems, even Knievel himself said that Ken was, quote, crazy. But the mad Canadian never gave up. Today on Past Gas, how much is a dream worth? Would you give up everything you owned, and possibly even your life, for glory? Would it be worth it, even if you failed? Strap yourself in, because we're about to hit 4G's of podcast. That's right, baby. This is the story of Ken Carter's Morrisburg Super Jump. It's Canada time. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. Welcome back to Past Gas. This is not a math show. This is not an algebra show. This is a car history show. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Pumphrey. Yo, pal, baby, <laughs> and Joe Weber. Uh, keep it juiced. And this week we are talking about perhaps uh, the most insane stunt ever attempted. Ken Carter's jump over the St. Lawrence River between Canada and the United States. I've heard this story before. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but it's it, it's just insane. So I'm very excited that we're finally getting to talk about this uh, event because it's it's the it's the perfect past gas story I think. I just for the record, I've been in a car that has gone over a thousand miles in the air. What? It, was, it said Spirit on the side, and it was very uncomfortable. Oh. And when I landed, I got to my parents' house. But they and they charged you for drinks. Yeah, they charged for the me for drinks. They charged me for a carry-on. Um, I brought uh, an HD DVD player with me, and they charged me for that. You, you have an HD DVD player? Yeah, dude. It's <laughs> better than Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Carter was born in the slums of Montreal, Quebec, as Kenneth Gordon Polshek. Even at a young age, he was drawn to stunts starting out by jumping from the roof of his tenement building into the snow banks down below. 
He left school at 14 with only a fourth grade education and worked as a grocery boy, but gave credit to his tough upbringing for making him savvy. Even after he adopted his stage name, he thought of himself as having two sides, Ken Carter, the stunt car driver, and Kenneth Gordon Polzhek, the streetwise wheeler dealer. So let me get this straight. He left school at 14 with a fourth grade education. He was <laughs> 14 in fourth grade. I mean, or he, he just like all stopped listening in fourth grade. <laughs> like he was like an A student until he was like eight or nine or whatever, however yeah. old you are in fourth grade. And then he was like, oh, I'm not going to listen anymore. Know everything I need to know right now. Yeah, I just I'll keep it. showing up. <laughs> love to imagine him. So, yeah, for the next four years, he kept showing up, and then he was like, Meh. "Yeah, nah. He's like, "I just don't get it. How can there be twelve inches in one foot?" I also love like his two sides of the of the same coin. It's like, yeah, on this one side, I'm a stunt man, and on this other side. I'm a streetwise rap scallion. Like <laughs> it's like those can be the same side. Yeah. Like, those don't seem very very exclusive. It's Evil like, Knievel pulled that off pretty well doing right, both it's like, those. Oh, you're a stunt you're a streetwise rap scallion stuntman? Yeah, I've seen this. It's uh beyond the the place beyond the pines. That's <laughs> the Ryan Gosling character. At sixteen, Ken Carter got his first professional stunt job riding a motorcycle in Joey Chitwood's awesomely named Congress of Canadian Daredevils show. Chitwood was a former race car driver who had transitioned into putting on stunt shows and also happens to be the man who inspired an eight-year-old Montana boy named Robert Knievel to eventually take up stunts himself. And if you haven't listened to our Evil Knievel series, definitely, definitely recommend you check it out. That's still one of my favorite uh, subjects that we've ever talked about on the show. We love a good stuntman on Pass Gas. Well, unfortunately, uh, Ken broke his legs. Uh, Ken broke his leg, singular, after three weeks on tour and had to quit. But the injury wasn't enough to deter him. The next year, he drove for Chitwood again. This time on a team with an even more badass name, the International Hell Drivers. Yes, dude. Hell yeah. Ken's that's two. That's two cool names for yeah. a group. That's a great rebrand. You know, usually the rebrand is um, subpar. You know, doesn't quite uh -huh. have the same punch, but they elevated it this time. Right. Ken's tours with Chitwood taught him the standard driving stunts of the day. Brick wall crashes, T-bones, driving on two wheels, and the dive bomber crash off of a ramp onto the top of a parked car. Um, fun fact, did you know that driving on two wheels is often referred to as skiing? That's I, the uh, industry term for it. I did not know the industry term for it. Good thing I, I put it in layman's terms so our listeners could understand. Yeah, it's, it really set me up to uh, to dive deeper and yeah. and uh, and become. I love thorough. how accessible you guys are being, and not just broad. Yeah, <laughs> wow! Look at that—we really came together on that one. We're being fun, entertaining, and informative. <laughs> but Ken wanted to do bigger, better stunts than anyone else, so he bought a camera and filmed himself attempting to jump sixty feet in a beat-up Plymouth. Oh After God. several attempts. Flipping and rolling over again and again, he hit the jump. Ken was crazy, but he was crazy persistent as well. <clears throat> There's a great documentary about Ken Carter and this whole subject called uh, The Devil on Your Heels. Definitely check it out, or definitely recommend you check it out. But there's lots of early footage of Ken's like earliest attempts to jump cars. And what they would do is they would take 
cars that were basically like my Chrysler, like a car from the 50s, because that's all that was available in Canada at that time, like junker cars. And because like the engine is so heavy in these cars, he takes off the ramp and then the nose just immediately dives. He makes it over like one car and then it just goes like nose down into the next one and flips. And they'd take this car and try to jump it like multiple times, three or four times, every time <laughs> compromising the, the the very little safety that car already has every time. It's a wonder that this guy didn't die super early yeah, on. I career. can't imagine jumping a car like that. Nolan's car is so big it blew a hole in my septic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just a cover and you had you had like vegan chili the night before or something. <laughs> Eventually, Ken left Chitwood's tour and set out with his own show called Ken Carter's Suicide Auto Jump, nice. a name which he had proudly hand-painted on the side of his tour bus. For the next 20 years, he did three shows a week, jumping over crappy cars behind the wheel of slightly less crappy cars, touring through small towns across North America. Um, it's amazing. Like What they would do is just try to find like a junker that ran well enough that they could get up to speed and jump. And they like never outfitted it with any sort of safety equipment. Like, yeah, you'll see that in the documentary if you check it out. Over time, Ken's show became a popular family attraction in part because Ken was a consummate showman. The kind of guy who would break his ankle on a botched jump then get on the PA and tell the audience to come back the next night to watch him give it another try. Oh, my God. He eventually became well-known for his ramp-to-ramp car jumps, a discipline in which he would eventually set the world record for distance. Normally, when the when he'd be jumping, it'd just be off one ramp and then onto a soft pad of cars <laughs> beneath. But like completing that ramp to ramp, that was a big deal. That's on my bucket list: is to jump a car onto a bunch of other cars. Oh, that'd be so much fun! Yeah, my bucket list is jumping out of a plane into a giant net. That's crazy. Yeah. By the way, the record for ramp to ramp was 124 feet. So it definitely seemed like flat out insanity when Ken announced to the world that he was going to add an extra 5,000 feet onto that record. Let's just make it a clean mile. I mean, there's a yeah. lot There's a lot yeah. between 124 feet and 5,280 feet. It, it totally seems like he didn't know how many feet were in a mile. <laughs> yeah, and then just when someone called him on it, he was like, no, that's what I meant. I know. <laughs> He's like, how long could a mile be? 200 feet? What, like, that's less than a kilometer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eh? Uh, it's like, what? yeah, what's a mile? Kimpy, what, it's like not a football field, right? In August 1974, Ken attempted to jump a motorcycle over 12 pickup trucks, but ended up in the hospital with his leg broken in three places. By this point, at age 36, he, was, he had rung up enough injuries to send several of his orthopedist kids to college. A running tab of self-inflicted damage that included broken kneecaps, ankles, and even a chest crushed by a steering wheel column. Well, I would remove even from, from that. Uh, Travis Pastrana who? Yeah. 36, dude. I turn 36 next month, and I won't like barely ride a bike. You turn it next week, James. Okay, cool. You know my birthday. Right, I, do, I do. Friends. We're yep. good friends. I need to get you a present. I'm gonna. Have, I'm buying you jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it keep it moving here. 
Maybe Ken was beginning to realize he couldn't jump cars forever. Or maybe he was just jealous of the publicity that Knievel got leading up to his jump over Snake River Canyon, which was scheduled for the next month. At any rate, rather than rest and heal, Ken announced from his hospital bed, no less, that he intended to jump a jet-powered car one mile from a launch point in Quebec over Lake Champlain and into New York State. <laughs> Home of Champ, the, la- the famous lake-, lake monster. Really? Uh, yeah, the uh, North America's Loch Ness Monster. Uh, the original plan, soup up a Dodge Challenger to hit 300 miles per hour. <laughs> launch from a ramp to a height of 300 feet and land using a guided missile system similar to the one on the Saturn V space rockets. (laughs) You know, normal stuff that an adult would believe possible. Hey, you know those things that get launched in the air and then are designed to crash down into the earth and explode? Mm -hmm. We should use that to land my car safely. (laughs) It's just like no car at that point had gone 300 miles per hour. And this is like right in the thick of the Malays era. So, oh, there was a few like land speed cars. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But like the, the Challenger that they built had like a jet engine um, yeah. uh-huh. in the back. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but as we'll see. It's this, like Dom's car from Fast and Furious. Yeah, this was a calculated um, design, I guess. I think we'll see. Ken spent $30,000 to outfit a Challenger with a rocket capable of 7,500 pounds of thrust and took it on the road. He knew this car didn't have enough juice to jump a mile, but he didn't tell the press that. Instead, he used it as a promotional tool while he tried to secure the $250,000 he needed to build the actual car and ramp. I think this is actually really smart. You know? Yeah. You invest in yourself like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a gamble, though. If, he, if no investors bit, then he just had this insane Challenger uh, that would be kind of useless. Ken toured the Challenger for a year and it made front page news, but he initially had trouble signing up financial backers for some reason. <laughs> He eventually found one by cold calling Ed Keating, a sports agent with clients in Major League Baseball and the NFL. Through Keating's TV connections, ABC agreed to put up the 250 grand in exchange for the rights to carry the jump live on Wide World of Sports, which would broadcast it to an audience of 20 million people. ABC's like, yeah, we'll spend a quarter of a million dollars to broadcast a man dying. Yeah. Ken was ecstatic. Wild World of Sports had helped make Evil Knievel a household name, and ABC even planned to send Knievel himself as a correspondent for Ken's jump. The stunt was scheduled for July 4th, 1976, with a slight change of location. Ken would now leap across the St. Lawrence River from Morrisburg, Ontario, to Ogden Island, New York. The international journey, it's unclear if Ken packed a passport, would cover 5,467 feet in 23 seconds, Although the actual distance from ramps end to landing was about a half mile. The rest was the acceleration runway leading up to the ramp. Okay. But even a half mile was incredibly ambitious compared to anything that had ever been attempted before. Unlike the parachute ending Knievel used at Snake River Canyon, Ken planned to land his signature ramp to ramp jump. His target was a 200 square foot bed of roses (laughs) planted on a cow pasture (laughs) On Ogden Island. 
Among oh, other obvious risks, the pasture was bordered by the river on one side and a forest on the other. So if he undershot, odds were good he'd end up drowning. If he overshot, he'd likely be impaled by a tree branch. This isn't the 1700s. This is like 40 years ago. Like we could do the calculations. What? What? Oh, uh, yeah, they thing, had math. They had math back then. They had we math. We had already been to the moon. They knew how stuff <laughs> Multiple worked. Multiple times. Yeah. It's, um, this is like, like, we, like we, we were done with the moon. This is like if you point. were to ask a kid what they want to do. And they're like, I want to jump a mile and land in a bed of roses. It's like build a like a landing ramp and and figure out if you look at the documentary the car that they built has these tiny wings there's no way to control it so like he just thought that the first time that he was going to do it like it would just shoot and like stay level and then just land in roses like it come it's on it's <laughs> really amazing uh in the documentary it opens with a shot of the 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 runway and the the ramp and then you look across the river you're like Oh, where's the other ramp? And it's 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 like it's like a 100 foot patch of dirt, and then just a wall of trees. <laughs> oh my god! The July 4th date quickly went out the window because the construction crew needed more time to build the 1400 foot runway and 85 foot high ramp. Although Ken claimed the jump was moved in deference to the American bicentennial. That's respectful. That's respectful. I'll give him that. That's the perfect day to do it, man. In the meantime, Ken hired Dick Keller Hell yeah. to build his rocket car. Keller had previously designed the Blue Flame, which set a land speed record of 640 miles per hour in 1970. Keller's new rocket car would be capable of 11,000 pounds of thrust, somewhere between a Formula One car and a straight-up jumbo jet. It cost over $100,000 to build in 1976, nearly $500,000 in present-day cash. Woo! Can you imagine being the guy that, like, broke, like, the Blue Flame is a legendary land speed car. Uh, it's, like, iconic. And then this Canadian dude is like, hey, I got a bunch of investors. Uh, you want to build me a car to jump a river? And you're just yeah, like, like, all right, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, if, like, that guy, like, is obviously a smart person. To be able to build a car like this. I just, I can't get behind all these people investing time and money, like signing up to kill a man. Yeah. I think, I mean, from the documentary, like his care, uh, his charisma really was like oh, sold yeah. everything. Like he is the dude from Eastbound and Down. Kenny Powers? Yeah. Well, that's Kenny Powers coming in later. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. I think the character was based off of both these guys together. Because one of them is like the talker. The other one is straight up just like a psychopath. Yeah. Ken, Ken Carter, I don't think we hit that hard enough. He's an incredibly charming guy. Uh, yeah. Like when he's talking, he, he is very calculated. He chooses his words very carefully. Uh, he has a very interesting manner of speaking, but like you kind of believe everything he says. Yeah. So it's not hard to imagine why people would believe him um, that he could do this because he definitely believed in himself. He's like Larry the Enticer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, that guy that guy invented an entire send it <laughs> personality. <laughs> yeah. You know? Woo, send it. Yeah, just gonna send uh, it. Yeah, just uh, I am so <laughs> like, jealous of that dude. That guy <laughs> What an big awesome shout life. out to Larry and Tyser, man. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up to this point, Ked had never driven a rocket car. In fact, he had never driven a car. No, just kidding. Uh, up to this point, Ken had never <laughs> driven a rocket car. In fact, he had never driven faster than 90 miles per hour. <laughs> what? My mom has driven faster than that. Begin training montage. First, he grew an awesome goatee. The most awesome thing you've ever seen. Like if Wooly Willy sold beepers. Next. He borrowed a rocket car called the Captain America and tested it up to 255 miles per hour, faster than the owner had ever driven it, but less than the 280 miles per hour that he now hoped to hit off the jump. Then, to train his body to withstand 4Gs of thrust, he joined a stunt pilot for some loop-de-loops. Then, that's it. End training montage. That's all he did. This is a really fun part of the documentary because he's... The guy who has the funny car, the rocket-powered funny car, uh, is, like, smaller than him. And so he lifts it up, and Ken goes into it for the first time, and he's wearing this huge, bulky, like, brown leather jacket. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I guess I got to take the jacket off. <laughs> and then he, like, takes it off, and he's still just, like, his belly is, like, right up at his chin. <laughs> After all that training, Ken was obviously ready at least mentally. But with 16 days ago, ABC started to worry. Ram construction had been delayed by continual rain, so the network sent Evil Knievel to do an inspection. Knievel thought the jump looked, quote, dangerous, telling (laughs) Ken, you've got no elevation, you've got no room for error. He was also worried that they had only two weeks to complete the same work that took Knievel three years at Snake River Canyon. But, you know, what? I was just going to say, if Evil Knievel is telling you to maybe, right. like, relax a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. If Evil Knievel's <laughs> like, hey, man, I think you should uh, chill out, maybe. I think it, I think listen. Evil was, like, the type of person to, like, Evil was very competitive. This guy was his competition. I think he was trying to talk him out of it because, you know, they're in direct competition with each other. Maybe. As stuntmen. Maybe. But Ken thought he was a better daredevil than Evil Knievel. He brushed off Evil's reservations and continued pushing forward with preparations. However, 
With four days until the jump, it was still raining in Morrisburg. The ramp still wasn't complete, neither was the car, which was stuck at Keller's workshop in Chicago. Ken insisted the jump would happen on schedule, but Keating and Keller thought conditions made it too dangerous to attempt. They called a press conference announcing the jump would be delayed. Even worse for Ken, a few days later, ABC officially backed out of the jump after reviewing Knievel's final report, which said that any attempt would be essentially suicide. <laughs> Duh! <laughs> and Keating was no longer interested in producing the event without TV money behind it. Ken was heartbroken. The dream of killing himself in front of millions of people was dead. That's rough, man. It's just, <sighs> I, it blows my mind that anyone was like involved at all in the first place. And then like, and then like somebody like a professional tells ABC is like, you know what? This is like not going to work. And then they're like, Oh, Oh yeah. That makes <laughs> sense. Oh yeah. That's what we've been saying the whole time. Yeah, Totally. <laughs> Yeah, we were definitely not encouraging him for the the, the ratings. Yeah. Hey, cancel those promos. <laughs> but there was a catch. And that catch was that Ken Carter was not the type of guy to let a dream die. He quickly found a new manager, Hugh Kennedy, to replace Keating. Kennedy quickly found new Canadian backers. And in June of 1977, Ken announced he would attempt the jump that September, but with a different car. Instead of a completely custom design, this time he would drive a jet-powered Lincoln Continental <laughs> Mark IV. You know what? I think that Challenger was too small. <laughs> we need a big he, problem. Was we need a bigger car, heavier? We need a heavier, more solid car. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a game of inertia. It's an inertia game. Right? <laughs> you get going, flinging farther there. He told reporters, quote, the only thing that's going to stop me this time is my death. If I die before the 25th, then I won't be there. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I thought he was saying, but he's definitely going to die either way. We all die, Joe. What? Yeah. Wait. Except for me. Oh, tight. To finish the ramp, they brought in a civil engineer who revised the original dirt construction to include steel and concrete. <laughs> and Keller sent his two best mechanics to Morrisburg to complete work on the Lincoln. Ken never got his hands on a missile guidance system, but the mechanics installed wings and hinged ailerons so Ken could at least theoretically steer in midair. <laughs> no. But this thing doesn't have a tail. So... It's just got wings, so it could do a roll, and that's it. You need you need some you need yaw, and you need a tail stabilizer. Dude, clearly you've fly. never jumped a Lincoln Continental. That's it's true. Way easier to fly in the air than it is to drive on the ground. Oh man! With two weeks to go, the jump seemed to be on schedule, but then the rain came again, causing further construction delays. And despite the engineer's input, the back support legs and the new steel ramp were too long and didn't initially fit the poured concrete. Plus, the enormous amount of pressure generated by the rocket engine caused the Lincoln's fuel tank to explode during testing, which blew out the car's whole front end. So, good stuff. The mechanics repaired the car and installed a tank made of thicker steel, which also exploded. <laughs> then they designed and built their own tank by hand, and it too exploded. So they gave up. Did we mention that it was like uh, pressurized um, hydrogen peroxide? 
uh, it was not hydrogen peroxide, but um, some sort of hydrogen mix. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Um, yeah, uh, extreme amounts of pressure. And it's just like the most caustic. Yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting on a rocket that is like about to explode at any moment. I just love that they were like, yeah, we can probably use a stock gas tank. <laughs> like, let's go to the like, junkyard like you don't use a stock gas tank in like a drift car no use a fuel cell yeah fuel cell fuel cell baby yeah so the mechanics gave up and they returned back to chicago ken was again left without a working car or a functional ramp and the jump was canceled for a second time ken was so depressed by this turn of events that he added a very strange handlebar mustache to his horrible goatee he also searched for other projects, including an attempt to become the first civilian astronaut and a plan to upstage Evil Knievel with his own attempt at Stake River Canyon, but he still dreamed of the mile-long jump. The impetus to try again came from the Canadian government, which told Ken the permits for a St. Lawrence ramp would be rescinded if he didn't soon confirm plans to complete the jump. Several months later, he announced the stunt would take place on July 1st, 1979 doubters remained but ken responded by telling the reporters quote i don't give a damn what anybody says i just want to jump a river and i want to jump in style <laughs> so by now this has been three years of getting turned down you got to have some real drive to like continue to push yeah. for this kind of yeah, thing i don't kidding, want man. to do boxing i want to jump a river ballet. i want to ballet <laughs> i don't want to rally I want to do ballet. <laughs> uh, check out our uh, Colin McRae episode. Episodes, multiple. <sighs> Ken told his new backers from the National Film Board of Canada that he would put up everything he owned as collateral. They gave him enough money to again redesign the car, this time with a functioning fuel tank, but not enough to produce a big live event. Instead, they planned to film the jump and sell the footage afterwards. Hey, here's a bunch of loonies. That's why... Make your, I, make your car safe, eh? This is why every society needs an endowment for the arts, okay? This jump is art, and it's good <laughs> for, a, for a culture, for the culture, you know? Ken hated that part of the plan, selling the footage. He'd spent his whole career performing for live crowds and knew the biggest jump ever attempted would sell a lot of tickets but he was forced to go ahead with the producer's idea. He didn't really have much of a choice at that point. And hey, at least he had a car now, a mustard yellow Lincoln driven by hydrogen peroxide engines. Wow, you were right, Joe. Nice job. Yeah, I just watched the documentary this morning. The new fuel tank proved handy since the rocket car was not particularly efficient. Rather than getting 50 miles per gallon or even five miles per gallon, this thing used 50 gallons per mile. What's the furthest you've ever sent it, Nolan? Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, I haven't got a lot of airtime in my life. Um, you did a couple of BMX jumps though, right? Yeah, they ended in tragedy. Um, <laughs> what is the furthest I've gone? Have I, ever, have I, I don't I know. Jumped? Have I even jumped a car? As they entered the final testing phase, Ken was still worried about the ramp. It was technically complete, but the <laughs> asphalt and plywood surface was very bumpy, which would make it tough to control the car on its approach. But 
those concerns were soon eclipsed by a series of bizarre new obstacles. On September 14th, nine days before the launch, the mustard mobile was stolen. What? Some assumed that it was a publicity stunt, or if they were less charitable, a way for Ken to avoid jumping. But Montreal police publicly confirmed that both the car and its hauler had been reported missing. After headlines went out with the news, it was discovered that a member <laughs> of Ken's team had taken it and went off with his girlfriend without telling anyone. What? What? <laughs> Why would you take that? That's like a huge burden. Yeah. She wanted to see it. <laughs> like, I, I, I think you should take your girlfriend out on a, a weekend getaway every once in a while, but adding a, a jet-powered race car to that... In a hauler, yeah. In a hauler to that equation is not... Uh, not advisable. Then, on September 21st, just two days before the jump, it was again postponed. This time, it was ostensibly to avoid conflicting with the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, makes sense. But word quickly spread that the National Film Board had suddenly announced their documentary project was complete and that they'd be leaving at the end of the week whether Ken jumped or not. This was reportedly because they got wind of a new deal that Ken and his manager were working with a group of Hollywood film producers and giving them the rights to the jump. Seems like a breach of contract. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ken had recruited new producers because he was furious that the jump wasn't getting any publicity. He wanted the new backers to help him turn the jump into a live event, but the Hollywood producers had a slightly different idea. They, too, thought that they could sell a film of the jump based on Ken's personality and immediately started filming background scenes with Ken training in a kayak, despite the fact that he'd never kayaked in his life and could not swim. <laughs> He's just like, what do I do? <laughs> like, I don't understand why the film and live event things are mutually exclusive. I don't know either. The Hollywood producers even brought in Ken's good friend and protege and fellow stunt driver, Mr. Kenny Powers, on board. I'm going to shabooms. To be <laughs> Ken's coach. In addition to having a notable name for Danny McBride fans, Kenny Powers would soon become a very notable part of Ken Carter's quest for glory. Kind of weird to have a, a protege become the coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless he was such a good mentor that now the the student has become the master you know because and thus the teacher must become yeah but the when did the teaching again. flip though when did the when did one stop stop teaching the other and then then flip? well nolan's given me notes on stuff i mean they're just like he's like an understanding of what he's doing yeah he's like do you but know if like, you put totinos in the microwave they heat up a lot faster <laughs> but they're not as good as in the other <laughs> So like depending on, on depending on how much time you got, like the oven one is like more of like a payoff. But if you're real hungry right away, then the microwave is faster. Yeah. Oh, thank you, senpai. <laughs> the day of the jump finally approached again, September 26, 1979. After almost five years of planning and three years after the initial scheduled jump, the car was ready, the ramp was ready, and even the weather was ready. The Seaway Authority stopped passage on the St. Lawrence to give Ken space. The very current of the river was slowed to simplify any potential rescue attack. What? They can do How that? How do they do that? With a dam, probably. Sick. But suddenly, the crew went on strike. 
<laughs> oh, no. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. <laughs> they thought they hadn't been paid enough in the preceding week, so they blocked the ramp and just banded $27,000 cash. What a bunch of thugs. No, nah, dude. This is easy. You got to pay your people. Yeah, you know? pay your people, but that's... Okay, whatever. Like, bring it up a day earlier. Yeah, bring it up before. You don't just be like, you know what? We've been talking, eh? And uh, we think that we see a lot of cameras around here, a lot of tickets being sold, and we're thinking we didn't get paid enough, so you give us $27,000 cash right now. And also, we want to be paid back for the stuff that we bought to block the ramp, too. <laughs> yeah. While the Hollywood producers searched for a way to get their hands on the money, Ken started showing his nerves. He was especially concerned about the highly flammable hydrogen peroxide fuel catching and personally instructed the on-hand firefighters how to put it out and get him out of the car. By 5 p.m., the money had finally arrived and the crew moved their improvised barricade from the <laughs> ramp. But it took until 6.45 to make final preparations. So the sun was setting by the time Ken climbed into his car. Because of the long delay, the river had reopened, so ships were passing by the ramp at three minute intervals. But Ken was happy because word of the jump had also leaked, drawing a big crowd to watch from nearby riverbanks. Everything was ready. And finally, finally, the countdown to the launch began. Five seconds before the jump, as Ken warmed up the engine, a valve blew and vented into the cockpit. Ken was fine, <laughs> but the engineer hired to manage the launch, a well-known drag racer named Slammin' Sammy Miller, <laughs> Determined it would be too dark to attempt again that night. So the jump was delayed yet another oh week. God. Ken returned to the Morrisburg ramp on October 2nd. Despite a rainy forecast, the Hollywood backers were desperate to complete the jump because each day of filming cost them $25,000 for the crew. So they pushed Ken onward. The rescue oper... <laughs> These guys just sound like real world producers or like the Bachelor producers. Just like... He's a piece of equipment. Yeah. The rescue operation had now been pared down from four boats to two guys in a rubber dinghy. And the fire crew that <laughs> and the fire crew that Ken had carefully instructed was now one kid with a tow truck and a twenty five gallon water tank. The crowd also hadn't returned, down to a meager fifty onlookers. The weirdest thing about the documentary is I mean it makes sense now, but like in his Lincoln Continental, all the doors were like basically sealed shut with plexiglass uh -huh. windows. He got in and out of the car from the factory sunroof. <laughs> this time with everything else ready to go, suddenly Ken became the one delaying, rechecking his safety harnesses, retesting his radios and other behavior one could reasonably describe as shook. Whether it was nerves or whether it was the lack of his desired crowd, the reason eventually ceased to matter because after 45 minutes, it started to rain. Ah. Ken and his team attempted to dry the track uh, with the film crew's helicopter, <laughs> but were unsuccessful. After 30 more minutes of rain, the jump was canceled oh for my a God. sixth time. Wow. Well, can we get more helicopters? Is it too late? <laughs> Ken remained eager to reschedule, but unfortunately not as eager as his Hollywood producers. They had run out of money and believed that Ken had lost his nerve. In desperation, they returned to Ken's good friend and coach, Kenny Powers. Ooh. On October 4th, the rain was still coming down at Ken's Ottawa Hotel, but not in Morrisburg, so the film producers secretly snuck Powers out to the jump site. The previous night, Powers had agreed to do the jump without Ken's knowledge. What? 
Powers had worked with Ken for 10 years, but the two were in the midst of a riff. So Powers agreed to take Ken's shot at immortality. If anything, Powers was even more eager to complete the jump than Ken was, if only because the whole crew was nervous that Ken might learn about the plan and show up in Morrisburg. And so, at 11.30 a.m. on October 4th, Kenny Powers finally did what Ken Carter dreamed of. He drove down the 1,400-foot runway, up the 85-foot ramp, and lifted off above the St. Lawrence River in a Lincoln Continental mustard rocket, <laughs> which immediately exploded. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> His problems started on the ramp. The bumps that had previously worried Ken made the car bounce as it accelerated, which fractured the car's fiberglass body. Powers was jostled in the cockpit and couldn't keep his foot on the pedal, so the car left the ramp at 180 miles per hour instead of anywhere close to the desired 280. Without enough thrust, a headwind caught the car and blew apart the fractured body. The Lincoln's chassis went vertical, which forced the parachutes to deploy early, and the car plummeted into the knee-deep river below at around 75 miles per hour. Powers was pulled from the car with eight broken vertebrae, three cracked ribs, a fractured wrist, and torn ligaments in his arms and legs. After years of preparation, the car flew just 506 feet. It was in the air for about nine seconds. The Wright brothers flew for 12. <laughs> he, so he didn't get pulled. He, he got out of the car on his own power, on his own Kenny Powers. Like so he, he was pulled from it. Well, if you watch the video, he like starts to pop out of the sunroof, which is insane to think that he has so many broken bones and right. he's still doing this. Yeah, I mean that's that's the power of adrenaline too, you know? Like yeah. your body will just go into a mode, a limp mode where it's like, okay, I am in a lot of pain, but I'm not going to tell the brain that. Yeah. Cuz we got to get out of this before I die. And then yeah. they just like brought him over to the muck and <laughs> let yeah. him like lay down in the muck. And he's just, there's video, the video of him is just like him going like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> That's like, did you know, do you know why stress causes high blood pressure? So like if you're stressed, like it goes back into like uh, our instincts, like yeah. back when we had to think like that tiger is going to bite my arm off. Yeah. So like when you get scared, it pulls like your circulation, it slows your circulation down from your arm and like your legs, your extremities. So like if you got bit by an animal then you wouldn't bleed as bad. Wow. So your your veins and arteries like constrict? Mm -hmm. And that's what like high blood pressure is. Yeah. Okay. That's why stress causes high blood pressure. Ooh, I don't like thinking about blood. Anytime I think about it, I just get woozy. I like to drink it. <laughs> I'm a vampire. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. When Ken found out what happened, he was naturally furious. He insisted the jump went wrong because Powers wasn't prepared to drive the rocket car and threatened the producers with legal action. He and Powers made amends in the hospital, and Ken later said he had no hard feelings against his friend, but he was only upset with those who pushed ahead to steal his dream jump. That's For a good friend part, right there, man. Yeah. For his part, Powers had no regrets. He told reporters, <laughs> quote, Anybody who says I've got rocks in my head has never felt the thrill of doing something nobody in the world has ever done before. That's, that's good. <laughs> hey, for anyone who says I got rocks in my head, <laughs> I they've don't. never done anything that could have killed them. 
It's just like starting any sentence with like, hey, if you say, if you're one of those guys saying I got rocks in my head, well, I got news for you. You probably never done anything so stupid it could have killed you, so don't talk to me. Ken Carter insisted that his dream still lived. He hadn't failed, so he could still succeed. For the next several years, he continued with business as usual and performed stunts across Canada and the U.S. And in the summer of 1982, after flying a car over a two-story building in Lancaster, New York, he announced his plans to complete the St. Lawrence River jump in September of 1983. Because those two are equatable. Like, if you can jump a two-story building, you can jump a mile over a river. Unfortunately, he never got there. In early September, he attempted to break his own world record with a ramp-to-ramp jump of 186 feet over a pond at a raceway near Toronto. In front of 2,500 spectators, his rocket-powered Pontiac Firebird flew almost 100 feet past the ramp where he was supposed to land. It flipped over and fell on its roof first from 75 feet in the air, and Ken Carter was killed instantly. His friend Kenny Powers went on to become a Hollywood stunt driver, appearing in films like Bullet and The Blues Brothers. By the time he retired, Powers had reportedly performed more than a thousand death-defying stunts during his long career. But he never forgot the one in Morrisburg. His second wife said he carried a photo of Ken Carter with him wherever he went for the rest of his life. In the end, Ken Carter didn't achieve his dream. He didn't even really get to attempt it. But his legacy lives on. The National Film Board turned their footage into two documentaries about the super jump called The Devil at Your Heels and The Mad Canadian, respectively. They're both on YouTube. Definitely check them out. A third documentary about Ken's final and fatal stunt came out on Canadian television in 2014. We'll have to check that out as well. Ken never completed the mile jump, but it wouldn't be fair to say that he failed. Through broken bones and broken contracts, bad luck, and worse beards, he didn't give up on his dream. In the end, the only thing that stopped him was the same thing that stops all of us eventually. Death itself. But while he was on Earth, Ken did exactly what he wanted to do. His many successful stunts made millions of people across the whole continent smile, gasp, and cringe. He fought against doubters and gravity with equal determination. If he didn't achieve his dream, well... That's only because it was literally impossible. If you ask me, we could all stand to live life with Ken Carter's gusto. Just not his terrible, terrible goatee. Seriously, it looked like garbage. Look it up. You're wrong. That thing is sick. Nah. Looks like a like a cat living on his face, just curled up around his like a mink. Like a mink on his face. Yeah, that's curled up around his mouth. There's like a TikTok of this guy putting this cup around his mouth and then oh. shaving. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. Yeah. <laughs> he got a little sauce bowl <laughs> and, and did that. That's awful, man. It's like uh, the, the, yeah, the face bowl cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so like, uh, you got to check out these documentaries because the fashion of the 70s is awesome. It's those uh, shiny brown leather jackets that really yeah. get me. Oh, my God. So rest in peace, Ken Carter. That's all. I'll, that's how I'll close out this show. Uh, Without you, there'd be no Larry the Enticer. That's right, <laughs> man. Um, so we've done Evil Knievel. We've done Canada's. Uh, I won't. I don't know. If, well, maybe greatest stunt man. Uh, this makes me really want to look 
into finding Mexico's greatest stuntman so we Whoa. can cover all of North America. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some insane story. Uh, we should also do Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan? Yeah, he's a he's great driver and he loves cars. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, rest in peace, Ken Carter. Um, I, I don't know what to take away from this episode. I don't know what the lesson is. Uh, if you have a bad idea, it's not all right. I mean, it is all right to, you know, bail on it and admit that you were wrong. This was a bad idea from the get go. And I think some people just have like their ego gets in the way and they like yeah, to sometimes uh, you should quit. Yeah. Quitters are just as important Alive. as people who don't give up. Is that a good message we should send or? <laughs> No, I think like sometimes quitting is a very powerful thing. Like, yeah, quit absolutely. Do else. That it takes a lot of strength to like admit that you were wrong, mm -hmm. and just like you know start from the get go again. And but when you start again, then you have a newfound knowledge of you know what you did wrong. You can grow from it. All right. Well, that's the episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, it's a so, we we've been doing the show for a while now, and it's always it's always a, a pleasure to do with my. When's our hundredth episode? Is that coming up? Um, I think that's a, still a few months away. But um, thank you very much to our team. We got uh, Bridget and Thomas helping yeah. us out, helping us out, basically the, keeping the show alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, helping and us Greg out Nix, in that way. Greg Nix, who wrote this episode. Let's not forget Greg. Yeah, Greg Nix. Thank you very much, man. Big shout out to Max Maddox for suggesting this episode. Um, it, I, th I love this episode. This is a lot of fun. If you know any crazy stories that we might not know about, let us know in the comments, and there's a good chance we might uh, write an episode about it. Yeah, and if you yeah. like this podcast, go ahead and subscribe to it. It makes it so much easier to listen to it. Uh, your phone will literally be like, hey, Remember that thing you enjoyed? There's a new one. Check it out. Technology is amazing. I remember when I was a kid, I had to go to, I had to go read podcasts <laughs> <laughs> on Live Journal. <laughs> Follow my co-hosts on all social media at Joe G Weber. Check out his Twitch channel, and yeah. follow James Pumphrey at James Pumphrey. At James Pumphrey. Follow me at Nolan J Sykes for all the hottest content. And juiciest gas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Be kind. Take care of each other. Keep it juiced. Keep it juiced. Keep it juiced Keep indeed. It juiced. <laughs> All right. So see you next time. Goodbye.